uh, another few prayer cards up here on the uh, communion table uh, of the Sellers family. This is one of our missionaries to Nepal. And I shared a little bit, uh, just a brief uh, little bit about their family uh, in Sunday school this morning. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Brother Chad's sister, uh, whose name was Tana, and married a young man by the name of Joe Collins. And Joe and Tana Collins uh, were uh, students out at Brother Jim Vineyard's <clears throat> college out in Oklahoma City, and they felt called to the mission field in primarily China. And, of course, China being a closed country, they knew they couldn't get in there. They decided to begin their work in Nepal. And uh, they were over there and laboring alongside of another missionary family for a number of years and established an orphanage for some of the, uh, uh, the children over there in Nepal and um, had come back for a much-needed break. They were on their way back uh, on furlough. And the airliner that they were on crashed into the side of a mountain and the entire family perished. And uh, Brother Joe's Bible is the only thing that uh, survived the wreckage that they were able to, to get out of there that belonged to the family. And uh, so the decision needed to be made about uh, whether to close the ministry over there or should someone else go and try to keep the ministry that they had begun going. And the Sellers family prayed about it and felt that uh, in, in memory of uh, their sister and, and daughter that their family would... Uh, continue to work and labor in that field over there. And so Brother Chad Sellers, uh, who's Tana's brother, uh, and his family have been over there now for a number of years working and laboring in that ministry, doing a great work in Nepal. And uh, so I want to encourage you, this is, uh, I only have, I think, three, two or three prayer cards. I can get more of them. I thought I had more this morning and I, I could not find them. Um, but if you'd like uh, to get their information, I'll keep one with, with my Bible. And if you'd like to get their information this week, I would encourage you, uh, again, to perhaps contact them first by way of email uh, or by snail mail, because they do live on the other side of the world. Um, Brother Chad was here about a year ago, uh, maybe a little less than that, and uh, just brought us an update on his ministry and what was going on there. And um, so uh, I want to encourage you to uh, get to know them, a sweet family, and doing a great work for the Lord over there in Nepal. And uh, as we continue to focus. And then, Lord willing, on Thursday, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about it on Wednesday. Lord willing, this Thursday, we'll be doing some things uh, in the auditorium here to set up a lot of our missionaries around the auditorium for our folks to be able to get in touch with. And any of you that would be available uh, probably from about mid-morning till early afternoon uh, to help with some of that, uh, be glad to have you come down and help us. Uh, get all that organized and up on the walls and, and uh, being able to uh, take several months this year to focus on our missionaries and get to know them better and be involved in them. And I want to encourage you in that. <clears throat> hold your place in Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me while you hold your place there in Joshua 1 to the book of Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. And um, I want to deal with... <clears throat> uh, an issue this morning that is so difficult many times in our lives uh, to deal with, and uh, hopefully it will be a help and encouragement to you. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ is your Savior, you don't know if you were to die right now, that you would go to heaven, can I tell you this, that God sure loves you. Uh, in fact, so many times we get the wrong idea that 
the reason God uh, has come and given us His Word and sent His Son here was to uh, condemn us for all that we're doing wrong. And that's, that's the wrong thing. We, we're condemned already, the Bible says, because we've not believed on the name of the Son of God. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to condemn us, but to save us from condemnation. And the greatest, the greatest gift that has ever been given to man has been the gift of eternal life. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea that God is some meanie upstairs that's just trying to rain on your parade or to cause you to, to feel guilty about things. I'm glad, glad that He brings conviction to our hearts and shows us our guilt. But He's not the one producing that. He's not the one that causes the guilt to be there. We are. He just brings it to our attention. And I'm thankful that He has a Son who loved us enough that He came to this earth over 2,000 years ago died on a cross. He paid the payment that you and I could not pay. And was buried and rose again the third day. I'm thankful He rose again, aren't you? If He had just died and been in the grave, He'd have been no different than anybody else. But He proved He was God and that He had the ability to save sinners and to forgive men of their sin by His resurrection. And we thank the Lord for that. And uh, so if you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You know, the Bible tells us that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. He tells us in the book of Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A lot of people think they have to earn their way to heaven. That's not it. Uh, you say, Brother Greg, will I get saved if I come to Keith the Heights Baptist Church? No. You might find how to get saved if you come here. But just coming here is not going to save you. Well, what if I get baptized in, in your baptistry? No. Nope. You might get wet, but you're not going to get saved by doing that. That's something we do once we are saved. You say, how do I get saved? The Bible says that we call upon the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. That we put our faith and trust in Him. And uh, that's that simple. That's that simple. He doesn't make it hard. And I've heard somebody say, well, uh, well, well that's easy believism. Well, if God loves us as much as He loves us, and He's done all that He said He's done because of that love for us, why in the world would He make it hard for us? Wouldn't He want to just give it to us because of His grace, because of His mercy? And I'm thankful He just says, listen, you just put your faith and trust in Me, and I'll take care of the rest. And uh, I'm thankful for that this morning. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior... You can do it today. That's great news, the news of the gospel. And we thank the Lord for it. Romans chapter number 7. The Apostle Paul is speaking here. And um, Paul, is in a, Paul is in a predicament. Now, Paul is a, a great Christian. I love, I love reading the books of Paul. I preach a lot out of Paul. Uh, he's one of the great, great Christians of the Scriptures, especially the New Testament. Uh, not flawless. Certainly Paul had his faults like you and I were. He's human, just like you and I were. But a great Christian, and, and certainly, I think, had the power of God on his life and on his ministry. And uh, we get to chapter number 7, and God has shown Paul some things that I think you and I can relate to very easily. At least I can, and hopefully, hopefully you'll see as we get along, most of us can probably relate to Paul. He says, "For we know," verse number 14, "...for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin." <clears throat> for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. 
If then I do that, which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that doeth it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And some of us would say, well, that's Paul saying, well, the devil made me do it. No, no, our sinful nature made us do it. It's our fault. For I know, verse number 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth some good things. No, dwelleth a little. Is that what your Bible says? A little good thing. Is that what it says? No. How much is how much dwelleth that's good in us? What does it say there? In my flesh dwelleth what? No good thing. You know, we live in a world where this world believes that humans are inherently good. Can I tell you, our Bible tells us differently. Our Bible teaches us that we are there's nothing good in us, in our flesh nature. For to will is present with me. In other words, my desire is present there. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. So even though I've got the desire to do good, he says, I'm struggling with doing good. You ever been there? Can we relate to Paul at this point? Okay, I know I can. It's not the lack of desire. It's the lack of knowing how to do it. Verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that doeth it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God, notice this, after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. What a peculiar statement for Paul to make. I think I can relate to him. By the way, if you think hard enough about it, maybe you could relate to him there as well. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God. (laughs) Oh, this is good. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. Our desire... Our heart's desire is to do that which is right. But so often, we don't follow through with what our desire is, do we? Let's pray together and we'll have our message this morning. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. May You help us in this area. Lord, it's amazing to me how strongly, many times as Christians, we love You. We, we long, we long to please You. Our desires to live in such a way that we do not bring a reproach to your cause. That we would lift you up, that people would see our lights and glorify you. And Father, I know many, many of us that struggle with this issue that even though our desire is great, many times we fail. And so I pray that you would help us through the teaching of your word to learn some things that your word teaches that help us and gaining victory in these areas. That we will bring our thoughts and our minds into captivity. That we will begin to have strength of character. That even though this world is very accepting of things that you consider to be immoral, that you and I, we would agree that according to your word, you've said that uh, that they are immoral. That we need to take a stand against them. And Father, may my heart come into line with Yours on the matter. I pray that You would help us today as we look into Your Word, that You would help each of our wills to come into line with Yours. 
that we would be in agreement with you on these things, that we would not justify them just because this world has, that we would not justify them just because our world has continued to deteriorate and decline. Father, may we look to you as the only source of our morals, of our character, of our pleasing you. And so, Father, help us not just um, in our desire, but in the application of striving to please you with a life that is honoring and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look with me now, if you will, in the book of Joshua, chapter number 1. We've been studying through the book of Exodus in Sunday school, and I've thoroughly enjoyed going through it. And uh, one of the things that we will find as we go through the Old Testament is that God uses a lot of the Old Testament uh, to illustrate things that happen oftentimes in your life and my life. Someone said years ago that uh, the way that God dealt with Israel in the Old Testament many times is the way that He deals with you and I individually. And so we get to know the heart of God oftentimes through His dealings with His own children in the Old Testament. And uh, it's interesting for me to, uh, to, to note that uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, which... Uh, to us, we look at it and we say, okay, that's coming out of a life of sin and the old nature is being left behind and that's the moment of salvation. If we were to look at that as a picture uh, in our lives, that perhaps would be uh, the moment of salvation for us. The Passover takes place, redemption is shown, and we come out of the world and uh, we now are uh, going out and following after God. And so... Again, there's a great picture that is given of uh, salvation in the children of Israel leaving uh, Egypt. And uh, then they uh, begin to wander and they are going to uh, a place that God has promised Abraham many, many years earlier. And that was uh, the place called the Promised Land. And uh, God's desire was for them to get to the Promised Land rather quickly. It really was. Uh, he spent a little bit of time leading them through some things in the, in the desert and the wilderness for the purpose of establishing who he was, making sure they understood he was not only a great God, but he was the one true God. He needed the children of Israel to know this fact. He needed the children of Israel to be able to put their faith in him, to rely on him for their needs and not on themselves. And so he oftentimes used the crossing of the Red Sea, the supplying of manna, the supplying of water, over and over and over again. God proves himself strong and allows the children of Israel to see that they need nothing more than to depend upon God and his provision. By the way, that would be a good lesson for you and I to learn. That we need nothing more than to depend upon God for his provision in our lives. And uh, then as we watch the nation of Israel come to uh, the... uh, uh, the end of their uh, uh, their initial wanderings, and God brings them to uh, Canaan. And uh, the Bible says that uh, God uh, stopped them there for a minute, and then Moses, if you'll remember the story, sent out 12 spies. You all remember the story? This has been a short while, probably just a number of maybe a, a, a year, maybe a 18 months, somewhere in there, fairly short period of time since they've left Egypt, that they come to the, the borders of Canaan, And God's intent, I truly believe this, God's intent was to take them in at this time. And Moses sends the twelve spies in. You remember that? And they go in. And I mean, the whole time they're traveling through this this desert, and God is proving Himself strong, their heart's desire is, boy, I can't wait till we get to Canaan. Can't wait till we get to Canaan. Boy, when we get there, it's going to be wonderful, isn't it? And 
And they get there, they send the spies in, and ten of them come back with a bad report. You remember the story? If you don't, you can read it in Numbers, I think, 12 or 13, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, you can read it this afternoon refresh your memory on it. And um, they come back and they say, no, we can't go in there. While, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey, and boy, it's beautiful. Boy, you all wouldn't imagine what a great, great place this place is. They said, but there's giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers to them. And the people, they're strong. Even if they're not the giants, they're still a strong people. And these people are there. And those people are there. And they were fearful of some things. And as a result, God said, listen, if you still have not learned to trust me, then I'm going to have to take, teach you a little longer. And then he makes them wander for another, another 40 years in the wilderness. That's a long time to learn a lesson, isn't it? I don't know about you. I'd far rather learn that lesson in God's time than in mine. You ever been there before where you just feel like, boy, God had to put me through this or I'd have never learned it, but I, I sure wish I'd have learned it a lot easier than the way He did. Uh, and so he, he sends them out for 40 years. <coughs> Could you imagine being Moses? After all he's been through, I mean, he, God put Moses through a lot. I think Moses is going to have extra special rewards in heaven <laughs> because of what he had to go through. And uh, he gets to the, the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of God's faithfulness. 40 years of God showing Himself strong. And God says, Moses, I'm not going to let you go in. And uh, he, he now establishes Joshua. And so the book of Joshua is dealing with inhabiting the land. What God had desired for them, what God's will for them was. He was going to give them blessings upon blessings. And I want you to notice as we get to the book of Joshua, chapter number 1, I'm going to read down through it several, quite a few verses. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, <coughs> and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall your coast be. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. <coughs> as it was with Moses, so I will be with thee, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, I want you to notice this, and if you're in the habit of underlining in your Bibles, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to underline a couple phrases here. Verse number 6. Be strong and of a good courage. Underline that phrase if you're in the habit of doing that. If not, maybe make a little mark there or something so you reference it. Be strong and of a good courage. What a statement. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only, here's another one. Be thou strong and very courageous. Underline that one. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. <coughs> that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, here's another one, be strong and of a good courage. 
Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over um, Jordan, this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you, the, given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor to help and help them. <clears throat> Until the Lord hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it. Which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of Jordan toward the sunrising. And they answered Joshua, saying, <clears throat> All that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Notice this again and note one more time. Only be strong and of a good courage. Four times, as Joshua is addressing the children of Israel, he tells them that God has instructed them to be strong and of a good courage. Because there's going to come some things that are going to happen as they come into the promised land. And can I tell you this, I, I will say this, that oftentimes we look at crossing the Jordan and entering the promised land as the time that we die and go to heaven, and some people use that picture, and I'm sure that's a fine picture to use in the Old Testament. But there is a battle that is still going on when they get into the promised land. There's still the clearing of the land that needs to be happening, and the defeating and the driving out of the inhabitants thereof. And I look at the things that they go through from this time forward as the same things that you and I oftentimes battle in our Christian lives. The things that really become a struggle for us. The things that Paul speaks of uh, that we battle against on a daily basis. The desires there, but we fight them. And there were some things that the children of Israel saw back in Numbers chapter number 13, I think it is, where they sent the spies in. And there are some things that they battle as they come to the Jordan River and come into the Promised Land that I think are important for you and I to note and understand. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter number 23. Exodus chapter number 23. You say, Brother Greg, why do you, why do you believe that this is the, continued of the, the continuation of the Christian life before we get to heaven? Because we find in Exodus chapter number 23, and let's begin in verse number, uh, let's see here, let's start in verse number 24. We just studied this in Sunday school about this being a covenant that God is making with the children of Israel. He says, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images, and ye shall serve the Lord your God. And he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from thee in the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their, there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in the, thy land. Thy, the number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee, and I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite 
<coughs> the Canaanite, the Hittite, from before thee. Now notice verse 29, very, very important. I will not drive them out from before thee, notice this, in one year. In other words, God already told them at the beginning of the covenant of giving them the promised land, you're going to go in there and I'm going to clear this land out for you. I'll fight your battles and I'll do all these things provided you follow me. But He says, I'm not going to do it in one year. In other words, there's going to be a process of time. He told two and a half of the tribes that were going to stay on this side of Jordan in Joshua chapter number 1, that their inheritance, even though it was on this side of Jordan, that they were to go with their brethren into the Canaan land and to help them fight and to clear out the land because there was still some land to be conquered. There were still some battles to be fought. And so I cannot take it as an absolute picture of crossing the Jordan into Canaan as our time going from death into life in heaven. But as much as I see even the continuation of what we go through in our Christian lives. If anything, I would say that it is the coming out of Egypt is the moment we get saved. The time in the wilderness is a time of discipleship for us. And then when we get to this place of the promised land, we come to a place of maturity in the Christian life. But there are still battles. The Apostle Paul, as great as he had learned and grown in the Lord Jesus Christ from the time he had gotten saved, still said, I have not yet attained. I've not made it yet. There's still some battles to be won. There's still some things that I struggle with in the inner man. There's still things that I battle in the mind. And there are still things that even though my will and my desire is to do what God wants, I still fail in. The children of Israel cross over Jordan. They go into the promised land. And there's some things that I believe they battle regularly throughout the course of the next several hundred years as they go through the land of Canaan. I want us to look at those things because I believe that they really are the same things you and I battle today in our Christian lives. The first one that I find is they battle the influence of ungodly people. They battle the influence of ungodly people. Look with me, if you will, in Exodus chapter number 23. <clears throat> and the Bible says in verse number 32, He says, Thou shalt make no covenant with them. Speaking of the inhabitants of the land. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee what? Sin against me. Can I tell you this? That the children of Israel, when they went into the land of Canaan, there were some ungodly tribes. There were the Hittites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and all the other ites that were in there. And they had to, they had to, they had to be careful of some things. And, and as much as these people were a danger to them militarily, they were even more so a danger to them spiritually. There was the influence of these people that God told them, listen, don't intermingle, don't intermix. Don't give your sons to their daughters. Don't take your their daughters to you because they will influence you. And can I tell you this? One of the great battles you and I face in the day that we live is the influence of an ungodly people. We begin to look at our world that we live in and the society that we live in, and if we're not careful, we measure ourselves and our spirituality by our distance from them. And can I tell you, that is the wrong rule. We should never measure from the world. We should always measure from God's Word. You say, why is that, Brother Greg? Because the same battle the Israelites fought in the Old Testament is the same battle you and I fight. And that is the influence of ungodly men. Hold your place here for a moment in Exodus chapter number 23, and let's go to Psalm 1. Very familiar passage. Many people have it memorized. 
So the psalmist writes, blessed is the man. And I just want to stop here. Anytime I read that phrase in Scripture, I want, if I'm half asleep, if I'm daydreaming, if my mind is wandering as I'm reading Scripture, boy, all of a sudden it comes, I, I want to see. If this is something God's getting ready to tell me will be a blessing to me, I want to know what it is. Blessed is the man, notice this, that walketh not in the, what, counsel of the ungodly. You've got to be careful listening to their counsel. If we're not careful even listening to conservative news programs, conservative television shows, radio stations, we will be under the counsel many times of ungodly people. We've got to be careful of that. You say, why? Because the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in that counsel, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Go and hang out with them and just say, you know what, I, I want to be a part of what they're doing. I, I don't want to do the things they're doing, but I want, to, I want to be around that atmosphere. I want to be the cool person. By the way, that's the same concept that goes around of churches that say, well, I've got to be like them so I can relate to them. They're standing in the way of sinners. You know, I'm thankful that when Jesus ate with the publicans and the sinners, He had no problem doing so, but He never participated in what they did. I'm thankful that He was one who loved and had compassion on the lost and went to where they were to reach them with the gospel, but He did not participate, nor was He in agreement with the things that they were doing. I will tell you this, that we have missed somewhere along the way the idea of God's people going out and finding the, the, the sinners in the, in the highways and the hedges and compelling them to come in. And we've, we've, we've become so separated that we don't even want to go out and see the sinners. Can I tell you this? We've got to go out to where they are. The thing we've got to be careful of is that we don't do what they're doing. I don't, I don't look like them. I don't act like them. I don't participate in the things they do just so I can relate to them. I've got something that I can hold up to them as a standard and say, listen, this thing right here, it changed my life. Let me show you how it can change yours too. They don't need somebody that looks just like them and acts just like them. They need somebody that says, listen, I've got an answer. I've got something that will change your life and give you great joy and great satisfaction and great peace. And it's found in God's Word. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, notice this, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. This battle that the Israelites fought over the next several centuries of ungodly influences. You know where Israel began to get in trouble every single time? It's when they began to hobnob with the other nations. They began to do close commerce with them, and before long, their children began to play together. And then this boy like that girl, and that girl like this boy, and they began to intermarry. And all of a sudden, the influence began to come in. You know, Peter speaks of this. He speaks of Lot. You remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? They had gotten so big, and God had blessed Abraham and Lot both so greatly, and Lot was a just man. And the Bible says that they got so great that their, their herdsmen began to strive about uh, the grazing lands and the watering for the cattle. And Abraham said, listen, we don't want to have a, a, an issue between us. So uh, he said, you know what, Lot, you pick an area and you go that way and I'll go this way. We'll stay close enough that we can still visit, but let's separate so that we, have, uh, we, we love each other, you know. And every family's like this to some degree. We, we love our families. Sometimes we don't like them very much, but we all love them, don't we? 
and, and sometimes one of the things when I came home from college, I was going to work at the same church that my dad pastored. And he told me when he hired me, he said, listen, we can work together, but we can't work together and live together. So that's going to be a problem. You have to get your own place. And, uh, and I agreed with him. I was in agreement with him on that. And uh, they did. They split and they went their own way. You remember Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom? And the next thing we do is we see Sodom in the gates of Sodom. In fact, it tells us that his family lived there, that he sat at the gates. He was one of the men of influence in the city. You know what Peter speaks of him as? He says, just Lot vexed his righteous soul from day to day in seeing and in hearing. What was his battle? His battle was the influence of ungodly people and allowing it to affect him. Can I tell you, one of the biggest battles you and I face in the day that we live is the influence of ungodliness on our lives. That's why it is so important that we come to God's Word daily. Somebody said, well, uh, do I have to read the Bible every day? Well, do you take a bath every day? Unless you're a teenage boy, you do. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> any, of you, any, of you, any of you make your bed when you get up in the morning? Any of you do that? I don't understand why in the world you do that. I'm just going to mess it up that same night. Why, do you, why even make the bed, right? <laughs> any of you comb your hair? Well, I don't know why you do. It's just going to get messed up again. You have to comb it again. Somebody asked a preacher one time, said, you know, why do I have to read the Bible every day? He said, why do you have to take a shower every day? Well, because I'm dirty. Same reason we need to read the Bible every day. Why? Because we've lived in a, in a world of ungodliness that surrounds us. And it has spotted us. And it has influenced us. And without the, the continued influence of God's cleansing Word, you and I are destined to fight the same battle as these, these Israelites. Look with me again in Exodus chapter number 23. The second thing that they battled was the enticement to other gods. The enticement to other gods. You say, Brother Greg, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have an idol in my house. Is that the case? Let's think about this for a moment. Look with me, if you will, in uh, Exodus chapter number 23. And uh, let's, go down to, um, uh, let's go down to verse number 20. Uh, uh, do I have it here? Well, we'll just read it all and we'll catch it here in just a minute. Uh, let's go to, um, yeah, here we go. Verse number 32. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, notice this, nor with their, what? Gods. Nor with their gods. Say, Brother Greg, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have any little stone idols sitting on a shelf in my house. But do you know an idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 for a minute. Let's take a look at what is supposed to be the case in our lives. Colossians chapter number 1. And uh, let's look in verse number... We'll start in verse number 3. We'll read down several verses. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. Well, that sounds like Keith Heist Baptist Church. I love that. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. And ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. I love that phrase. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? Speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is all that God has done for this church. He's given us a spirit of love. He's, done, he's delivered us from all these things that we can walk worthy unto the Lord. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. This is a joy to read this. And, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest verse of all of them. Who is the image of the invisible, the firstborn for every creature. Notice this, verse 16. For by Him, speaking of who? The Lord Jesus Christ, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before. Do you see that word there? He is before some things. He is before most things. He is before many things. What does our King James Bible say? He is before how many all things. He is before all things. Don't miss this. And by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the what? The body. The church. Who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in some things He might have the preeminence. That in most things. Many things. A lot of things. That in what? All things. Who might have the preeminence? Ha <laughs> Man, I hate that Paul wrote that, because I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of times I like this guy right here to have the preeminence. By the way, you ever been there? Truth be told, we're there oftentimes throughout the day. They've battled the enticement of other gods. Can I tell you, that's the same battle you and I face. You say, I don't have a graven image. I don't have a rock or a wood carving. No, but we have things that take the preeminence in our life, do we not? Who's supposed to have the preeminence? And in how many things of our life? Just some of them? All things. What about my thoughts? Is he to have the preeminence in my thoughts? What about my conduct? What about my speech? What about my appearance? What about the things that I participate in for amusement and entertainment? 
I'm not trying to be nitpicky here to step on people's toes, but we often don't think of this. And it's a battle we fight that is no different from the battle that the Israelites fought. Does he have the preeminence? Not in most things. Not in many things. Not in a lot of things. But in all things. Can I tell you, that's a very convicting question. It's one I don't like to ask myself because it really pricks my heart. But it's one that is so needed in the day that we live. The third thing that they fought was fear. Numbers chapter 13, let's turn over there. Just take a moment to read this account. I'm not going to give you the entire story. We'll start reading in verse number 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation. They've already gone and spied out the land. They've come back. They went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, by the way, would God deliver us from saying nevertheless? Let's just take God's blessings and trust Him. Their, their, their fault happened when they said nevertheless. Instead of looking at what God had given them, they said nevertheless. Notice this, the people be strong. What were they saying? We fear them. We fear the people that dwell in the land and the cities are walled. Very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. You know, the children of Anak were, were giants. This is the family that uh, Goliath came from, his descendants. Can I tell you this? The children of Israel were fearful. And it's a battle you and I face every single day. We fail God often for no other reason than we are fearful to do what is right. Well, it might cost me too much, Pastor, if I do what's right. If I'm honest in this area, it may cost me too much. I'm fearful. There's just too great, a, there's too great of a cause against us. By the way, there's a very vocal crowd out here today in our world that is blaspheming the very truth of God, and they are loud and they are vocal. And God's people are sitting back with their lips sealed. You know why? Because we're fearful. Well, if I say anything, they'll block me from Facebook. Well, whoop-dee-doo. If I say anything, I'll get canceled. Whoop-dee-doo. I may lose my job. There's another one out there. There's help wanted everywhere. People can't hire. People don't want to work. Somebody's going to cancel you for saying what's right. Go find another job. 
we face a battle of fear in our lives. It's not one somebody else can fight for us. It's one we have to face every day. I can't have one of you folks in the church face my fear. It's something I have to battle. Same thing they did. They're coming into the land. They're shaking in their boots. I'm thankful by the time Joshua comes on the scene, there was enough faith there for them to say, you know what, we just trust God. Oh, Caleb. Caleb's the only one, he and Joshua are the only two that said anything positive, said, no, we can take it, let's go. You know, God spared Caleb's life. And 40 years, I mean, by now he's probably a 75, 80-year-old man, maybe plus. You know what he said? He said, you give me the hardest land to conquer. You give me the one with the giants. You give me the one with the the strongest garrison of the Philistines. I want that one. You know why? Because I want God to fight my battle for me. Oh, that God would give us some Christians that would say, I had to learn it through 40 years in the wilderness. But I have finally learned to just trust God. The battle of fear, it may rear its ugly head here and there, but I'm not going to let it dominate me. I'm not going to let it have control over me each and every day. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Paul said, there's things I know I'm supposed to do. He said, I don't do them. He said, there's things I know I'm not supposed to do. He said, I do them. He said, and yet my desire, my desire, my heart, my will, my will is to follow the Spirit. He said, boy, the flesh oftentimes wins in my battle. And by the way, we can make a decision and say, Lord, help me in this area. I want you to strengthen me. And the truth of the matter is, tomorrow morning we've got to wake up and we've got to face all three of those battles again. And the next day, and the next day. And we've got to continuously put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to bring our bodies into subjection, our minds into subjection. If we're going to avoid the influence of ungodly people, we've got to have some character. We've got to have some stamina. We have to have some, the old timers used to say it this way, we've got to have some grit in our crawl. We've we got, we got to bear down. And we need to do it with the strength of God. Because the truth of the matter is, we can't win that battle in and of ourselves. The enticement to have the preeminence in other areas of our lives and not give God the preeminence, it's a battle every day. We've got to fight it. We've got to fight it. I'm so thankful that Colossians chapter number 1 tells us that in all things, He might have the preeminence. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, and we're going to be done here. I know we're just a couple minutes over, but bear with me. The journey's been long, but the destination's worth it. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And uh, let's look in verse number 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. God doesn't give His children the spirit of fear. If God doesn't give us the spirit of fear, where does it come from? It comes from Satan, doesn't it? It comes from the old flesh nature. 
It certainly is not from the Holy Spirit. Look with me in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the capital S spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the what? Children of God. And if God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm thankful that God has overcome the wicked one. I'm thankful that He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not have to live in fear. We've read the end of the book, and I'll tell you a secret if you haven't figured it out yet. We're on the winning side. Amen? We have battles to face. Let's not, let's not let them win. Let's not them gain the victory. Not, not, not let them gain the victory in our lives. Let's live a victorious Christian life. Have character. Keep ourselves from the influence of ungodly people. Give Christ the preeminence. And then rely upon God to deliver us so that we're not in fear. Let's stand together with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. How it teaches and instructs us. How it guides us in all truth. Lord, I pray that You would use the message this morning to help us in our Christian life to grow, to improve, to win these battles more often than we have in the past. That knowing them, we can recognize them and defend against them. That we can put our hearts more wholly to You, to trust You in the face of faithlessness, in the face of fear. Lord, that we would be willing and self-sacrificial enough to yield ourselves to the leading of Your Holy Spirit, no matter what the cost. It may cost us some friends. It may cost us the influence of some people in our lives. It may cost us some things that we enjoy that we tend to give the priority or preeminence to. Father, may You deliver us from these things. Help us to, in all areas of our lives, be pleasing to You. Bless the invitation and use it as You would see fit. Strengthen our faith. May we recommit some things to You throughout this day as we meditate and think upon the things that we've learned from Your Word, may we make those decisions again. And then, Father, help us to have the strength, the leading of Your Holy Spirit, to be able to follow through with them and to live them. Bless the invitation, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. If God's